We're going to continue in our series in uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 22, uh, looking at the prophet uh, Elijah. Elijah's not going to make an appearance in today's passage, but his stamp is kind of all over everything that happens here. And uh, we're really going to be looking at this idea of God's will for us. And this is something that um, my wife and I have been exploring over the, the past uh, several months, well, for actually probably a couple years, really, and uh, kind of wrestling through this question of like, hey, God, are we, are we done having kids? Are we going to have more kids? Like, what is your will? You know, what, what do you want us to do? Can I filter out all my selfish uh, motivations and desires and kind of, <laughs> kind of get, get close to you? And ultimately, uh, we felt like uh, God was leading us to continue in that. And so, um, so I'm excited to let you guys know that uh, my beautiful wife, Katrina, is uh, pregnant. We're, uh, we got a baby boy on the way. And... Um, do uh, do next April, and um, man, we're really excited about that, and so uh, we're excited to share that with you, our church family, and, um, and and I say that with full recognition that the whole issue of, of having children and, and pregnancy and all of that is a, it's a complicated and many-faceted issue, and there are those that would desire to have kids and for whatever reason are not able to. There are, there are those that are single and would love to be married and have a family, and for whatever reason, that's not where they're at in this season of their life, and there's, there's loss, and there's all these things that the people wrestle with surrounding that. Um, and so I, and I, I embrace all of that in saying in our path, we looked at it and we said, hey, God, what is your will and desire for our lives <laughs> uh, for, for us to do? And so, uh, so we're excited about that. Um, like I said, I had, to, I had to filter out a lot of, of a personal, because all my personal selfish motivations would have said, hey, let's, let's quit while we're ahead. Um, I'm sleeping pretty good at night. I'm not getting any younger. And I had to like set all those things aside. Um, but we're really going to look at this passage today about seeking the will of God. Are we seeking God's will? Or are we speaking God's will? And are we allowing God's will to shape us? Once we know what he desires, are we allowing it to shape our lives? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And, and unfortunately, we're going to be looking at it in a negative example in, in King Ahab. And so if you've been following with us uh, in this series, Ahab was the worst king of Israel. He was just the worst, right? Like he, uh, he brought in idol worship. He married this completely w- wicked woman, and she brought all kinds of uh, wickedness in with her. Um, they just, everywhere they went, it was kind of a reign of, of debauchery and sin and idol worship, and, um, and he just didn't seem capable of making a good decision. And yet, through all of that, last week, if you were here and you got to hear Keith preach, um, after um, stealing a man's land and having him killed so he could get what he wanted because he just wanted to take whatever he wanted, uh, God confronted him on it, and he actually, for the first time that we see in Scripture here, he actually repents, and he actually asks God forgiveness, and amazingly, God is willing to say, hey, you're so wicked, you're so evil, and yet, <laughs> you have turned back to me, and because of that, I'm going to relent the judgment that I, that I had called out upon you. It's not going to take place in your lifetime. It's going to be passed down. It's going to come after you have passed away. And so God is so merciful and so gracious that he could even look at the worst king of Israel and say, despite your wickedness, despite your sin, if you would turn back to me, if you would repent, I will love you. And I will, I, I will offer forgiveness. I will offer mercy. And so it's such an encouraging message for us. Unfortunately, what we see here is that it was short-lived for Ahab. Uh, he got a reprieve, and he didn't do well with the reprieve that he got. And, and there's a whole gospel message in that, right? Like, we're here, many of us realize that we're broken sinners, that, that the record of our life would not be sufficient to send us to heaven to live with a perfect, good, loving, creator God. That if we look at the evidence of our life, we would say, hey, you know what? I probably, definitely don't deserve that because I'm, I'm broken. And yet, because of what Jesus has done, I get that. 
He has, he has gifted me forgiveness. He's gifted me a righteous relationship with him. And if we keep that in the forefront of our heart, then it keeps us from drifting the way that Ahab ends up drifting, as we're going to see here today. And so, so much of, of the Christian faith and the Christian walk is continually coming back to the gospel, day after day, moment by moment. I'm not worthy. Uh, I'm not good. I'm not righteous in and of myself. But because of Jesus, I'm adopted as a son and daughter. And then I go on to live the life that, that pleases him. And I don't want to do sin anymore because sin just separates me from my purpose and it separates me from God and it separates me from the relationship that I desperately want. And so now that I've found that, why would I go back to the other thing? So that's the gospel in a nutshell, right? That's the book of Ephesians in a nutshell. That's, that's what we believe here at Riverside. I wish Ahab would embrace that. Uh, we're going to see here. So in 1 Kings chapter 22, let's jump into the passage. It says, For three years Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. The king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us and we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? He said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Now let's just pause here for a moment because most of you are probably not ancient Israeli historical scholars, right? And you're like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what these places are. I don't know what's going on here. But essentially what's happening is this wicked king Ahab um, is the king of Israel. The nation of Israel was united under King David and under King Solomon. But then after King Solomon, it split. It was fractured and it split into the, na the, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And so there was, there was two uh, it was kind of as if uh, the Civil War had gone a different direction and there was a north and a south, right? There was a total split and a division. Um, and yet in this passage, we see that Israel's king Ahab has invited Judah's king, Jehoshaphat, to come and, and to be with him. And, and they're there together. And then while they're there, what he says is, if you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, Dave Edwards preached about how uh, Israel had gone up to war against Syria. And God had given them the victory and he'd given them uh, total, total conquest um, but when they came time uh, to face the king of Syria, instead of, instead of uh, executing the judgment that God had called him to execute on him, uh, the king decided to let him go. And he said, where is my brother the king? Bring him out here. We're, let, let's be buddies. And, and he wrapped his arm around him. And, and so the king of Syria promised, like, hey, man, we're going to give you back the cities that we took from you. We're going to set up a good trade relationship. Like, this is, is going to be a new era of peace between us. But sadly, here we are three years later. There was no war, but they hadn't followed through on their promises. They didn't give the cities back. And so now Ahab's looking at it. He's like, man, I took them out. God gave me the victory, but now I'm not living in victory because I chose to, to let my foot off the gas when God wanted me to finish the job. And so, so now he's looking to the king of Judah, and he's saying, he's saying, hey, that city they were supposed to give us back, they never gave it back, but I want to go up and fight for it. Will you go with me? And Josephat says, yeah, I'm going to go with you. I'll go fight with you. And we'll dig a little bit more into some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that's happening there. But. So that's the scene. So Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. I wonder, in your life, when you come up against difficult things, or when you come against mundane, everyday things, is that what you say? <laughs> Do you begin there and say, man, I'm going I'm to inquire of God first. Let's begin by asking, what does God want in this situation? So many of our, our struggles and our trials and our failures and, and the things that, that, that disappoint us in life emerge simply out of that fact we don't begin there. We don't say, hey, what, what does God want? 
let's start there. And once I have a vein, once I have an avenue, once I kind of know the parameters that, that God wants to work within, then I have freedom there to pursue where he's leading me. I wonder, is that, is that where you begin? Do you begin by asking, what does God want? Joseph says, inquire first of the word of the Lord. And so the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and he said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? They said, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, uh, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Now, we don't know what's going on here, right? But, but what it tells us is that there was 400 prophets. And uh, scholars like to debate about where these prophets came from. And as we're going to see, they don't prove to be very good prophets. And so, uh, so some think, if you remember the showdown that, that Elijah had on the top of Mount Carmel, there was 400 prophets of Baal, and then there was 400 prophets of Ashtoreth, and, and the prophets of Baal showed up and got slaughtered, but the other prophets just kind of never showed up. And so they're thinking that maybe these are some of those guys. And they said, hey, you know, and now, now uh, Jehovah is God, so maybe we'll just switch teams and we'll start being prophets for him since this other one doesn't seem to be panning out too good. Um, there was also prophets that were hiding in caves and running for their lives. And, uh, and so maybe some of these are made up of some of those that, that said, hey, you know, I, I've been on the run. I've seen what it's like to cross the king. I don't want to be that anymore. So whatever he wants, I'm just going to say, yes, sir, I'll do it, right? Maybe they, their will to, to really truly serve the Lord. We don't really know, but, but there's 400 yes men that come and kind of say, yeah, this is going to go great. Go do it. And for some reason, Jehoshaphat's spider senses start tingling, right? And he's like, he's like something doesn't feel right here. Is there one more guy that we can ask? Now, can you imagine that 400, 400 yeses? Is there just one more? Is there just one more can we talk to? And, and so the king says, um, yeah, he said to Jehoshaphat, yeah, there, there's yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imla, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring Micaiah quickly, the son of Imla." And now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Imla, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gates of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenna, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And so it's this, this grand, uh, stupendous display, right? The kings are there in their royal robes. They're sitting in their royal chairs. The, the prophets, 400 prophets, are prophesying and singing. And this guy's got these crazy metal horns, right? And he's like, bang. <laughs> he's like it's like a toga party or something. He's like, you're going to ram them with these iron horns. It's going to be awesome. And, uh, and, and man, what a scene of just perpetuating. And what he had done is he had really set up a feedback loop of saying, like, tell me what I want to hear. 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 And everybody was only too happy to do just that. So the question for us, quite simply, is, 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 is do we seek the will of the Lord or do we seek the path that is already set in our own hearts? Ahab knew what he wanted to do, right? When he invited Jehoshaphat in, he knew that he wanted to ask him to go to battle. When he proposed it to the king, he wanted him to say yes. He knew when, when the king said, hey, can we inquire of the Lord? He was bringing in the prophets, but he's like, hey, guys, you see this party I laid out? You see, you see all the stuff? You, you can tell which direction this is going, right? He, he surrounded himself with a bunch of yes men that were just going to say yes to what he already wanted to do. And I wonder if sometimes we do this in our own lives. We kind of determine what we want to do, and so we just rationalize and find ways to justify it under the will of the Lord, right? 
well, you know, I prayed about it, and I think this is what God wants me to do. Really? Because it doesn't say, you know, like what you're saying you want to do actually contradicts what it says in Scripture. Are you sure that you prayed? Like you, I mean, how can you argue that when somebody comes to you and says, yeah, well, I prayed about it, and I just went, that's kind of a, a conversation killer, right? Like, I don't know that you can tell somebody, well, I don't believe you. But we do this, right? We, we kind of, how hard did you pray? We decide what we want to do in our heart, and then we look for things to rationalize and justify it. And, and fortunately for us, we live in a society, or unfortunately enough, uh, where that's really easy to do, right? We saw this in the last election cycle, that, that people would be like, man, I'm looking at my Facebook page, and I don't even understand how that other candidate is running, because everybody on my page is saying the same thing that I'm saying about the things they like and the things that they don't like, except for that one crazy guy I met in college, and he's always putting things out there. And that. But, but other than a few uh, aberrations, Everybody I know agrees with me. And people on the other side were saying the exact same thing. <laughs> because we just surround ourselves with this feedback loop that keeps feeding into us what we want to hear. I saw a, a similar thing with one of my friends, and he began drifting from the faith. He was raised to know Jesus. He was, he was, he was raised to know the truth, and uh, yet he began to really embrace this kind of um, new age, open enlightenment, uh, open theism, just do whatever feels good kind of thing. And he started saying these things, and at first... Um, his, his, his friends came to him and said, hey, man, I'm a little bit troubled by what you're posting. Like, I don't think this adds up. Like, have you considered this? And, and he would kind of disregard or, or argue with them. But then these other voices started creeping in, people that I didn't know and I'd never heard of. They're like, man, you are on the path to enlightenment. Keep going, brother. Keep going. And before long, months down the road, you look at his page, and it's just filled with that, right? It's just filled with people saying, like, no, you're on the right path. Keep going. And he learned some really hard lessons in that. And by God's grace, he was, he was kind of shown the, the error of his ways. But um, we do this. And so I invite you to think about, who do you have in your life? Do you have people that will honestly tell you the truth? Do you have people that will challenge you when you start going down a path that's the wrong path? Do you have people that will, that will, that will interject the word of God into your life? If you do, you're blessed, right? It's good to have friends like that. If, if you recognize that, man, that person's just going to tell me I'm doing a good job, even, hey, stick your hand in the fire. You're a hero. <laughs> Do it. You're brave. No one else would stand that pain like you, right? Like they, they're just encouraging you to keep burning yourself. Those aren't the kind of friends that you want. In our heart of hearts, are we seeking the word of the Lord? Uh, Second Chronicles gives us a different picture of this. This is the same events. It describes them a little differently. Listen to this in Second Chronicles 18, describing this same event. It says, Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. He made a marriage alliance with Ahab. And after some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed an abundance of sheep and oxen for him and for the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth Gilead. And so here we see it from a slightly different angle, right? Uh, we see that Jehoshaphat was rich, and he was influential, and he was respected. And so Ahab's like, man, I got I to gotta, I gotta get in with this guy. And so he says, hey, why don't you marry my daughter? Man, she's awesome. She's really pretty. Her mom, a little bit sketchy, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's going to work out. And so Jehoshaphat marries her. And then he invites him down, and he throws this big, huge feast in his honor, and there's this banquet, and there's an abundance of, of meat. And, and, and then in the middle of all that whole party, he turns to him and says, hey, would you want to go to battle with me? Man, it was really hard for Jehoshaphat to say no at that point, right? <laughs> it's like, oh man, this guy kind of threw this giant banquet in my honor, and uh, I'm going to look bad if I say no in front of all these people. And we do this to ourselves, don't we? 
we, we, we kind of paint ourselves into corners. We, we, start, uh, we start ingratiating ourselves and getting ourselves into situations with people and friends and, um, and acquaintances, and, and before long, we feel like we owe them something. And then all of a sudden, when it starts to turn a corner that we don't want to go down, it's, it gets a lot harder to say no. It's like, man, well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to lose this friendship. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't know that they'll understand what I'm trying to tell them. And, and sometimes we lack the conviction to really share the truth or take a stand. But Jehoshaphat did one thing right. He said, hey, let's inquire of God. I'll go to battle with you. I, I see what you're setting up here. I'm fine with it as long as God is fine with it. But he wants to know what God is saying. Are you doing that in your life? Are you asking God, what are you wanting me to do? What do you desire for me to do? I had uh, last night, uh, things kind of aligned in this crazy way. Um, it was cold. I remember the guy when we did our home inspection, when we bought our house, he's like, hey, now you want to make sure in the winter you lock your windows because that really seals it and keeps the heat in. So I went around and I locked all the windows in the house. Right? You can already tell where this is going. <laughs> and so then we decided to run to the mall. I grabbed my set of keys that doesn't have the house key on it. I'm like, oh, Trina will bring her keys. Uh, we go to the mall. We come back. It's like, hey, do you have your house key? No, I don't, I don't have my house key. I don't have my house key. And her parents have been over a couple weeks ago, and so we gave them the spare that we usually leave in this, like, secret place that nobody would ever find it, but, but we gave that to them. And so we've got no spare keys. All the doors are locked. All the lower-level windows are locked, and uh, there's, like, no way to get in our house. And then my kids come out of the car and like, Dad, i got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. So send them off. Trina takes them mercifully to Starbucks. I'm, like, climbing up our deck. I'm climbing up on the roof. Like, trying to, trying to get in. And I recently, I, I finally, I, I got to a place, and I'm, I'm like, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but if nothing else, you're giving me a story to tell in my sermon, right? Um, but I got to a point where I was like, the only way I'm getting into the house is I've got to break something. I've just got to choose what I'm going to break. Something is going to have to get broken. I'm either going to have to try and take a hammer to the, to the garage door and knock the handle off. I'm going to have to break the pane of glass in the back window and reach in and unlock it. Or I'm going to have to rip open a screen uh, on our third floor bedroom window and try and, like, push that open and climb in. And so I opted for number three, <laughs> and I'm here, I live to tell a tale, right? So, uh, so I survived it, but, but here's the thing. It wasn't an option to be like, well, yeah, I guess we'll just live in our car now, right? <laughs> I guess we'll just go sleep in the field tonight. We can't get into the house, right? Like, I, I wasn't willing to give up. Giving up was not an option. There was a hard choice that I had to make. I had to rip the screen open. I don't know how much that's going to cost to repair it. I'll figure it out, right? <laughs> And that window, believe it or not, it was, took all of my strength. Like three different times I tried until I couldn't do it and it wouldn't open. And I laid there and I was like, I can't give up. We have to get in our house. And so I tried and tried and finally it just opened enough of a crack and then I was able to pull it open and climb in at great peril to myself. But I survived. Thank you. Um, do, we do, we, do we approach challenges in our life like that? Do we say, God, I have to do this your way. There is no other way that I can go. I can't take a different approach. I need to know what you want from me, and I will not accept anything less. If you do that, you can't lose. <laughs> but sometimes we're just like, God, what's your will? What do you want me to do? Okay, I don't hear anything. All right, I'm just going to go do this. This is kind of what I want to do, right? Get before the throne. Say, God, I will not relent until you show me what you want me to do. So Jehoshaphat asks for Imla, or sir, for, for Micaiah to come. We pick up the story in, in verse 13. The messenger 
who went to summon Micaiah, said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. What an awesome declaration, right? Hey, I don't care if there's 400 guys that are telling him it's a good idea. I, that means nothing to me. Whatever God says to me, what he shows me, that is what I'm going to speak. It takes a lot of boldness to take that stand. As you honestly think about your, your interactions with people, the way that, you, that you've lived your life over the past week, does that describe you? Hey, I don't care people pleasing. I don't care what they, what's right and true. I'm going to say it with grace. I'm going to do it in a peaceable way. <laughs> I'm going to try and, and do it in a way that people can accept it, but I'm going to speak the truth. I'm not going to water it down. I used to have a bad habit of this. I learned as a pastor this is a horrible thing to do, right? You talk to somebody, they tell you what you're, they're going to do, and you're like, okay, all right, well, let me know how that works out. And they walk away, and you're like, that was the worst idea I've ever heard. That is going to crash and burn. But it takes a lot of courage to tell somebody that, Right? It takes a lot of courage to look at somebody and say, like, look, I love you too much. I could let you walk away, but I love you too much. I want you to know, I don't think that's the right path. I don't think you're going the right direction. Verse 15, when he, when he had come to the king, the king said to Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. It's a good idea. The king said to him, how many times must I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? He wasn't buying it. He's like, that was too easy. I, I, I know that's not it. And so Micaiah says, all right, here's the deal. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. Essentially, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die in this battle. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And then the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? One said one thing, another said another. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? He said, I will go out. And will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the guy with the iron horns, remember him, right? The Viking, uh, the son of Chenna, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on the day that you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. The king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah, take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you people. Essentially, Micaiah delivers the word of the Lord. He says, whatever God tells me, that's what I'm going to say. He does it, and I would love to tell you that they threw a party in his honor and said, thank you, we found one truthful, noble man in this country. You will be second in command, and we are going to celebrate you. But that's not what happened. Uh, his, his, his integrity was questioned. He was smacked in the face. He was thrown into prison, and he was given meager rations. But Micaiah understood the greater perspective. He said, hey, 
this king may threaten me, the king may kill me, he may throw me in prison, but that doesn't really matter all that much because I serve a greater king. I'm here on this earth for a few years, but I'm in eternity in heaven. And it's better to honor the king that I will be with eternally than to honor this earthly king. So do your worst. I have to do what the Lord says. Will you take that kind of bold stand? People need that. They need us to be that way. Our world is dying without its Savior. And they don't realize it. And they need people like Micaiah who will be bold enough to say, hey, I know 400 people on Facebook said that that was a good idea, but I'm going to tell you out of love that it's a bad idea, that it'll lead to your death. You know, Jesus told the truth a lot. <laughs> and some people responded. You know, the woman that he said, he said, go get your husband. She's like, well, uh, you know, my husband's not here. He's like, yeah, I know. The guy you live with, that's not your husband. And the seven you had before, yeah, you're not with them anymore either. Um, but, but I have truth for you. And she's like, you're awesome. <laughs> Thank you for telling me that hard truth. I'm going to go get all my friends and neighbors, and we're going to come back, and we're going to hear what you have to say. When you speak the truth, sometimes God will use that in a powerful way. And then there's other times, like the Pharisees, that they will take and that they will persecute you. Maybe greatly. And for Jesus, it cost him his life to speak the truth. And so there's no promise of prosperity. There's no promise of, of earthly rewards. But there's a, a promise of a closeness with God, of entering into the sufferings of Christ. Of being despised and rejected by men, but being loved and honored by your God. That's the example that we want to fire, uh, follow. I'm reading my notes about the fiery furnace, but I don't have time to talk about that. But if you, if you uh, read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were told to bow before the king, right? And they, they, he, they said, hey, our God is able to save us. Whether he does or not, we're not going to bow down before you. We can only do what God tells us. So we seek the truth, we speak the truth, and then ultimately the question is, are we shaped by the truth? You don't get points for knowing the truth if you don't follow the truth. <laughs> in fact, it, it goes the other way. You're, you're held to a higher judgment. So verse 29, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. They heard what God said. They disregarded it. I'm sure Ahab said, See, I told you, this guy's got an axe to grind with me. He just always says negative stuff, and he was going off about some weird thing about a lying spirit, and that doesn't sound like God to me, and I don't think he's telling the truth, so let's just throw him in, in jail, and let's just go to war. And Jehoshaphat listened to him. Now, later on, God's going to send a prophet to Josephat and said, hey, you've been a good king, but you were wrong. You should not have allied with Ahab. It was wrong to do that. So they justify it. They find reasons to give them an excuse to do what they want anyways. And listen to this. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and I'll go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now, that sounds honorable, right? Like, hey, I'm going to go fight with the guys. You, you hang out up here in your priestly or in your kingly robes. I'll, I'll go down with the, the, the guys on the front lines. But listen to what was happening. Verse 31, now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. So I can't help but think that somehow Ahab knew that that was going to be the battle strategy. And so rather than being an honorable thing, he's like, hey, you put your king robes on and stand over here, and I'm going to go over this way, right? And so they went after him. When the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it surely is the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, and when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random 
and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. <laughs> Basically, you know, they're going, these wild, you know, these Syrian, they're like, we're at war, war. He's just like shooting off arrows, like just kind of going random crazy. And one goes up in the sky and hits him in the perfect place in the, in the soft spot in his armor to kill him. It looks like it's random, but it's included in Scripture because he wants to see it wasn't the act of man that killed him. It was God, right? God had ordained judgment on him, and there was nothing that was going to prevent it. And what looked like a random shot of an arrow into the air was the, the kill shot for the, this wicked king, Ahab. Therefore he said to his driver, his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, until at evening he died. The blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot, and about sunset a cry went out through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. That was the end of the story for Ahab. He was not shaped by the truth. He didn't want to seek the truth. When Jehoshaphat forced him to seek the truth, he heard the truth, but his life wasn't changed. He wasn't shaped by it. There's a great danger in reading the Bible. There's a great danger in coming to church and hearing uh, God's word opened up because then we have to obey it. We have to come under obedience to it. And it's in big things. It's in, it's in hey, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should, should we move to this place? What should we do about our aging parents? There's big questions that we come and seek the Lord in, but there's also little ones. Just a, just a week or so ago, uh, we had been watching this TV show, and it, um, and it was like three-quarters of the way through. We were almost done with it, but uh, something had entered into the storyline that just wasn't sitting right with me in, in my spirit. It was, it was uh, demon possession related, and it was just something that I was just like, man, I can't, I, I don't know. I don't feel right about watching this. And, um, but I really wanted to see how it ended because it was suspenseful, right? And um, it's kind of a cliffhanger. It's just a couple episodes left. And so I knew I was going to rationalize my way out of it. And so the next morning I woke up and I was praying and I was still feeling this. And so uh, I went to Trina and I said, hey, listen, we can't, I can't finish watching that show. Because <laughs> I feel like God is saying to me, hey, is it more important to finish the show or is it more important to be obedient to what, what I'm laying on your heart? And so I was like, yeah, you know what? Uh, Obviously, it's more important to obey you, God. <laughs> and so I told Trina to hold me accountable. I was like, hey, I'm not going to watch the end of that. You can watch it if you want. This is like a conviction that God's laid on me. I'm not going to do it. And, and so I haven't watched it. And um, it's just a small example of like a little step of obedience. God does that all the time. He lays things on our heart. Hey, don't, don't watch that. Hey, don't go. Don't, don't pursue that person. Don't, don't do that thing. And how we respond in those little things is going to directly affect how we respond in the big things. Several years ago, I was, I was confronted with the fact I had started coming to Riverside, and, and I was shown biblically that, that there's this call to a believer's baptism when you place your faith in Christ to be baptized as a sign of the faith that you've, you've placed your faith in him. And, um, and I had been baptized as an infant, and, and so I was like, well, I was, I was baptized when I was a kid. I think that's good enough. I don't think I need to do that. And, and so for like a year and a half, I put it off, and I wrestled it. And, but God kept bringing it back in my heart and showing me how Jesus, who was perfect, went down to the water and was baptized by John as a 30-year-old man, right? And, and, and I just, finally I was like, man, if it's good enough for Jesus, what am I doing dragging my heels? And so in a small, not too crazy ceremony right over here at Bucksmont Baptist, there were about 30 people there. I went, I was baptized. There was no beam of light that shone down from heaven, no dove descended, no voice from the sky. And yet, because I was obedient in that little thing, God opened the path for me to be here preaching to you today. I wouldn't be standing on the stage if I hadn't been obedient in that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that. So in the big things and even in the smallest things, if you want to say, God, what is your will for me to eat for lunch today? Do it, 
right? Like, better to overdo it than to underdo it. Say, God, if I'm in danger of death or dismemberment, I'll call out to you. Otherwise, I've got it. He doesn't want you over there. He'd much rather have you over here saying, God, I don't, you know, should I go left or right? Should I put my, you know, go to him in an abundance. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want to be a break glass in case of emergency, God. He wants to be your close companion. This is how Jesus lived, right? Jesus was always seeking the will of his Father. He had an awesome day of healing and casting out demons and doing all these amazing things. And if it was me, I would have just woke up the next day and done the same thing. But when he woke up the next morning, he went out to a quiet place and got alone with God and said, yesterday was awesome. What do you want me to do today? And sometimes the answer was, hey, get on a boat and go to a different town. They still want you here, but I need you over here. Jesus always spoke the truth, even though it led him to the cross. And in the garden when he said, not your will, not my will, but your will be done, he was obedient to it. When God showed him, like, this is the way, he submitted to the guards, he submitted to the Pharisees, he submitted to the Romans, he submitted to the cross, he submitted to the grave so that he could be resurrected and that he could offer us the free gift of salvation and forgiveness. I'm so thankful for that. My prayer is that you would hold a gratitude in your heart for that as well. And you would seek to truly know the word. He says, my words are life. Seek to know the words of life that God is showing to us.